you have a way to see God's Word, just turn to Philippians chapter 2. We finished up chapter 1 last week, and uh, we're jumping into chapter 2. Many have said that chapter 2 is one of the greatest uh, chapters in all the Bible on the idea of unity and, uh, and selflessness, and uh, we're definitely going to be reading about that in the next several weeks. So look at the series introduction. This is something that I really want to kind of get through our heads through this long journey through the book of Philippians. Joy is the unshakable assurance that God is in control of all the details of our lives. The confidence that ultimately we can trust God in everything that comes into our lives. And the determined purpose to praise Him in all things. And so we continue the Joy Ride uh, series this morning. And really we're looking at the idea to choose joy in unity. And many times we would say, you know, choosing joy and suffering, boy, that can be a challenge. But if you really think about it, choosing joy in unity is sometimes even a greater challenge when it comes to the fact that we are called to be in unity with one another. Now, unity can be difficult in almost any situation. Where two or more are gathered, <laughs> you may not have unity. Uh, not only that, uh, at the office, in a family in a marriage, we find that being in unity with one another is very difficult at those times. Uh, being unified as a nation and even as a church can be very challenging. But when it comes to the church, we, can, we can't afford not to be unified. We must be in unity. So look at the introduction for this morning. We as a church family must be in koinonia, now that's a Greek word, which really kind of means this, which is experiencing the fullest possible partnership and fellowship with God and each other. This requires unity in the vision God has given us and what we believe about him. Now, the one thing that we know about God himself is the fact that he sent Jesus here to this world to die for our sins. Not only that, when we look at the full scope of what all that looks like, from the fact that Jesus came, had a ministry, he died on behalf of our sins, that we could have a way to heaven, that the next thing Jesus did basically was basically give us the Great Commission to go and tell, to make him known, to present the gospel, not only locally, not only in the setting in which we're sitting here today, but also around the world. And the only way we can do that effectively is through the idea of being unified as a church. If you go back and you look at some of the history and uh, the things that we have found about the Philippian church, this was a strong church. It was a church that was growing. It seemed to have vision. It was working out a strategy to accomplish, to carry out the, the gospel. But the thing that we see here is that many times churches are complacent. There's, they, they don't really, if you ask them, what is your church all about? What are, you, what are you trying to accomplish? Many of them would say, well, we just, we just want to do what God's called us to do. Okay, what has he called you to do? And sometimes they don't know. Sometimes it's just as simple as the Great Commission itself, which is really the whole idea of the vision, but the strategy to do that, many churches have no idea what you're talking about there. And so many times, because there is not a vision, there's not something out there for them to, to move towards, to, to see God work in and work through, many times churches no longer become unified or have unity because everything seems to be displaced. The church in Philippi, in, uh, 
the Philippian church seemed to be one of those churches that had that vision. Seemed to be one of those churches that was moving forward. And Paul wanted to remind them how the best way to do that. So in Philippians chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 4. It's here on the screen. This is from uh, the message. It's a paraphrase of God's word. But I think he says it well here. He says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in, communi- in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to help others. Now, that is totally different than the world, isn't it? That's totally different. If you go and look at the world's messages, basically get all you can. You deserve this. You deserve that. And, and if you don't deserve it, go for it anyway. We hear all these different messages. But here in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is basically saying, okay, here's what it needs to look like. If you're going to be unified as, as a church, if you're going to be in unity to carry out what God has called us to do, this is what it's going to look like. Next week, and we're going to look at some of it this morning, he tells us how Jesus fulfilled every bit of what he's asking of us. He did everything exactly what he's asking us as a church to do. Now, when it comes to Pleasant City Church, and you begin to look at it, so many times, and it's it's really, I don't, and I have to be careful with this at times, but a lot of times uh, we'll go out to eat or we'll see someone or uh, someone will say, hey, uh, don't you go to Pleasant City Church? Yeah, I I go to Pleasant City Church. They'll say, man, y'all are really doing some great things over there. God is doing some amazing things. And, and, And let me just tell you this. A lot of times people don't realize that what God is doing here today began a long time ago. It began a long time ago. It began, and, and here's where I, and I've even had uh, uh, professors at Gardner-Webb from years ago say the same thing. They said Putnam Baptist Church back then, Putnam Memorial Baptist Church, it, it is amazing what that little church is doing. And they were talking about it years ago with Master Life. How many of you remember the course Master Life? Yeah, many of you took the course. Some of you actually taught the course. And, and what's interesting about it is, is from that, we saw seeds being planted. From that, we kind of migrated into other things as we brought the different studies into the church. And what we began to see, we began to see our church family growing together. Y'all, that's vital. That's key. That a church family grow together. And we began to see some things begin to take shape. And God began to orchestrate not just the, the whole idea of what he was doing here to ground his people. He was beginning to move us in ways that we never thought we could move. I guarantee you that. That's at least the way I felt through it all. And all of a sudden, God began to do a work. And here's, what, well, here's where it showed up the most for me. As a pastor going to deacons meetings. Now, now sometimes you, can, you hear all the horrors of deacons meetings. I know some of you have heard of those things. Um, I've never been the one here at this church like that. If we, if we disagree, we agree to disagree. It's been phenomenal, 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 phenomenal. Anyway, can you say the word? 
But, but really, and I think about even with the pastors, your pastors, we, we attempt to meet at least once a week, if possible. Everybody's on vacation this week, going doing th different things. Like VBS is a big deal. I still don't know why Corby can't make the meeting tomorrow morning. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but sometimes things stand in the way. But the point I'm trying to make is even as pastors, there's seven of us now. And guess what? With a couple of them, especially that's on staff, there's about a million different opinions about everything. And sometimes we just have to walk out of there as brothers, willing to agree to disagree. I see it with the deacons at times. I see it when we, when we all meet at times. There's been decisions we've made as a church at times. But here's what I want you to tell you. I've never seen disunity, even though there were different, different ideas about how something could be. I've never seen disunity over the fact that we disagreed. Y'all that can only be the Holy Spirit working in a mature group of people who are growing in Christ. That is the only way that happens. And that's what's happened here. And so when, pe when people say, what, what are y'all doing? What program are you doing? What, what event have you been doing that's, that's created all this? I, 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 after preparing for this sermon, I found it. It's unity. It's unity. And that's what God has called us to. The reason many churches flounder and not work together is because they don't have vision. They don't see God working and join Him. The individuals who make up the church don't look past themselves to reach out to others. They don't pursue God and accomplish His goal for their church and its ministry. And that's another part of this. It's not just the fact that we need to have unity. What we need to do is be pursuing the heart of God where God's leading us to go. And if we're sitting here floundering, not knowing what that is, I think there will be bickering. There will be frustration. But to go out there and say, here's where we believe God is leading us. This is the best path forward to make the gospel or put the gospel into the world, into our community. Then we begin to work together towards something, all while growing together. And y'all, that is so key. So vision and its pursuit to fulfill the greatest opportunity for, is the greatest opportunity for unity. But it also must be a work of the Holy Spirit working in the individuals to grow spiritually mature. And, and, and there's several things. This is not on your outline. This is not even on the screen. But here's what a growth environment looks like for you personally. And it has to begin with us personally. We can't grow as a church unless you're growing personally. Doesn't happen that way. Everybody's got, got their part. To, to create a growth environment around you, you need others who are ahead of you. You need those who are further down the road. God's placed those people in my life. They help me to see things that may be coming up in my life, different things. How about this? You need, we, we need a, a continual challenge placed before us. If we're going to grow, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how, you need a challenge in front of you. Some of you remember in your life, maybe you're older now, and all of a sudden you become complacent in your life. And, and you, when's the last time you had, you had a challenge put in front of you? One that's come to you that's not come to you by way of this church, because, boy, we've challenged our people over the years. But really a challenge. You, we've always, we need a God-given challenge to pursue. That creates a growth environment. Our focus where it is outward and forward. It seems like the older we get, and I'm starting to notice this. I'm starting to be aged out of what I want to be. But, but anyway, I, I seem to be getting to that point in my life where it's so hard not to be complacent. 
to break free from that and to always think outward and forward. But so many of us, what we do, we get to a certain age and we just become complacent. We, we stand still. We're not growing anymore. And I'll be honest with you. When I'm not growing like I need to be growing, I can become critical. I found myself there because I'm not pursuing. I'm not moving towards the heart of God. And, and many times I become judgmental and I, I, I start, and I don't even like sometimes the way I feel and the way I'm acting and my attitude because, and I've narrowed it down at least for me, it's because the next challenge is not out there. The next pursuit is not out there. God has called us to a life of pursuit, to follow him, to find him, to reach for the heart of God that he may impart into us what he's doing next, how he wants to use us, and it's all vital. Another part of this growth environment is, is others around us growing. We need to inspire one another. I need to look at you. You need to look at me. You need to say, are, are you growing? And, and it needs to be evident that we're growing. It needs to be evident. I, I can't tell you how many times, and this has happened a lot over the years as being the pastor here, how someone in the family will get saved. And, and, and maybe the rest of the family were saved all along, but all of a sudden that person gets saved. Maybe it's a husband, a wife, and all of a sudden their faith just takes on a, a, a special meaning. And I mean, they just start growing. They can't be satisfied with anything other than what God wants for them. Here's what happens. The others in the family who have been saved for a long time, all of a sudden they realize they lost what, they, what this person has. They lost it somewhere along the line. And it challenges them. We need to do that even in the church family. We need to be able to look around. That's the reason connect groups are so important. You can't sit in this room and say, man, you're growing. The only way you can judge that is if we're eating more. I mean, that's the only way we can do it in here. But when we get in small groups, when we come together and we can hear each other's stories about how God moved. By the way, that was one of the first services or gatherings I ever attended here at Putnam Baptist Church. In 1989, I happened to show up here on a Sunday night. And the pastor basically stood at the front after the singing and the worship and said, Is it, has, God, has anybody got a word tonight? Now, I found out later, as pastors, we do that when we're not quite prepared. <laughs> no, I don't think that was his situation. But, 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 man, it was a beautiful time. I heard people saying, and, and I remember one in particular, and, it, and it, it was a lady who'd been praying for her husband for many years to come to know the Lord. That night, the first time I came here, that impressed me. And with her tears, she said, I just want God to save him. Guess what? He did that. He, you, know, you know when he did it? Almost 30 years later. I got to see the prayer, the first one I heard in 89, all the way to where, I, all the way over here. And he came to know the Lord. And I'm telling you, God did some miraculous things in his life. And it was amazing to see how he even ch he challenged me with his new faith and the fact we prayed. On that same night, I heard people talking about answers to prayer and how God moved in their life and how only God could have done what he did in this particular situation. Tina was in Wilmington visiting our family, and I called her, and I said, Hey, I think I found the church we need to be a part of. And we visited a lot of churches. And we joined here in 1989. And I, I'm convinced the seed for coming here was that little Sunday night service where people just began to share what God was doing in their life. And we came here and we grew. 
we got to have other people around us growing. And then we also need to go to a place where growth is modeled, and not only modeled, but expected. And so when we tell you around here, hey, we want you to love God, we want you to connect with others, and we want you to help us reach the world, that is the path that we see towards your personal growth. We believe that is the greatest path forward. We believe that's what we find in God's Word. So let's jump in this morning. How many of you like that long introduction? I'll get through this, I promise. The first thing we see is the expectancy from unity. Strife, jealousy, pride, selfishness, personal agendas, and ambitions all lead to disunity and can destroy a church. And many of you in this room have seen that play out. Paul here is outlining what it takes to have unity. We know what it takes to have disunity. And to be honest with you, if we just leave ourselves naturally acting in the flesh, we'll have it. But that supernatural work of God, where God is doing something, Paul's basically identifying four attitudes that are needed to bring unity to a church family. And the first one's encouragement. Encouragement. Look what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation, some of your translations say encouragement in Christ. He, he begins right there. Of course, I'm not finished with the verse. We'll continue with the verse in just a moment. Just the, right coming out of the gate, he basically says encouragement must be in place. The word encouragement means to come alongside of. And what he's saying in this context is this. If Christ came alongside of you, why don't you come alongside of others? That, that's really what he's going to get to when we get down to, to the next verses. So if Christ came alongside of you, how many of you are grateful for that? He came alongside of you. How did he do that? Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit begins to live in our life. All of a sudden, he dwells there. That's the Spirit of Christ. Great things can happen. Source of encouragement for us. So now that that's happened in us, and we have the source of encouragement, why don't we be a source of encouragement? How many of you know people who just encourage you? To the point that when you see them, you're excited about seeing them. Because they encourage you. They, they light a fire under you. They help you. That's what he's talking about here. So encouragement to live out our faith together, meaning encouragement to grow in God's truth together. Encouragement to do life together. Encouragement to serve together. To serve together. A second attitude that leads to unity is love. Just basic love. If any comfort of love, now think about that. The word here is what we call agape love. It's a selfless, sacrificial love. It's unconditional love. Here's, this is a love that looks past differences. Now, let me just tell you, our world is setting us up to hate the people on the other side of difference. Have you noticed that? We're being engaged that you are to hate the people on the other side of difference. And, and, and the point that he's trying to make here is agape love, it covers beyond that. Now, it doesn't mean we tolerate behavior. It doesn't mean that we don't speak against certain behaviors. But it does tell us to not make that person over there an enemy. Because, it, because listen to this, the Bible, guess what it says about our enemies? We're to love our enemies. Those who oppose us, those who come in opposition to us. Now take that down, break it down into the church. Are we going to have differences with one another? Absolutely. We're going to have differences. 
We will. Some of the greatest people I know in this room who I love, we've had differences. One of them sitting right over there every day. We have differences. <laughs> There's a difference out there. She can't automatically become someone that I hate. I must love her through the differences, as difficult as that may be. <laughs> it comes back this way, too, okay? <laughs> Imagine the spirit of unity that would exist within a church if every member would let the love of Christ work and care through them. Jesus is there with the disciples in the upper room. He's going to be arrested some hours later. And what you read in John chapters 13 through 16 are some of the most important words you could ever read coming from Jesus. Sermon on the Mount special, that was him coming out as, as the Messiah. But boy, when you come to John chapter 13 through 16, he's giving you the departing words. He's telling you how to live out this thing that he's talking about, this, this faith. Okay, And, and there's one, one thing he says in John chapter 15. He says this. This is my commandment that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Wow. So, so what do I need to, how do I need to love another person the way he loved me? Where does it have to start? Well, I have to try to understand that love that he has for me first. You see, that, that's what it means to get in the Word. That's what it means to grow in Christ. That's what it means to fully understand who we are in Christ. Because until we understand that, we will have no idea how to love beyond ourselves. Now, let me say this. How many of you offended the heart of God this past week? Every hand in the room should be raised high. Right? And yet, what? He loves us. He still desires to be in unity with us. He still desires to have fellowship with us. He still desires all that from us. And so basically, it's a love that sees past differences. It's that kind of love. A third attitude that's needed to bring unity to a church family is communion. And I'm not talking about the, when we take communion. I'm not talking about the observance of communion. Communion is, a fe is fellowship around a common faith and purpose. That's what I'm talking about here. Communion, that we have a common faith and purpose. He says that in verse 1. Second, the third thing he says, if any fellowship of what? The Spirit. <laughs> now, what's our way of fellowship many times? Fellowship of the chicken, right? <laughs> right? We're going to get together and eat some chicken, okay? Or we're going to get together and have whatever, you know? You know those typical things. But what's he talking about? If any fellowship of the Spirit, that, that literally means that we come together being unified by the Spirit himself. That he's brought me with the conviction that he's poured into me, the guidance, the teaching that he's given to me. He's bringing that, and then there's another that he's bringing together, and we see this together. We see this together. He's literally making us so linked is really the idea so linked is the idea that you see here now once a person has trusted jesus christ as his or her savior the holy spirit does two significant things one i've already told you he enters the believer to comfort convict guide and teach 
But then he creates, based on what we just read, he creates a spiritual union between the believer and other believers. He creates a spiritual bond between them. Between them. And that's what he's talking about here. Now, how to develop a unifying spirit. This is on your outline. I didn't put any blanks in there because I just want you to get this. Okay? Number one, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. A lot of times, and I've, this has happened more than once, and actually I've had to do this myself. Go into a meeting, maybe it's about some church business, or maybe it's about how something needs to be done, and all of a sudden you go in, and, and, and maybe you do have one of those times where you lip say, well, I agree to disagree, but you walk away really not agreeing with anything. Anybody ever been there, honestly? I've had to go back. Because the Spirit of God will get a hold of me. <laughs> and sometimes it's not even, it's not even that, that I'm so wrong. It's the attitude that I have. You see, so many people, even if you're right, and have a, if you have a stinking attitude with that, you're not creating unity. You've got to have a good attitude about it. You've got to have a loving, what does the Bible say so far? You, in your disagreement, you've got to still find a way to be encouraging. In your disagreement, you've got to find some way to, to, to have agape love for that person. You've still got to love them. You don't have to accept behavior, so to speak. But the point is, you've got to understand that sometimes you need the Holy Spirit to help you see when you've been wrong. And by the way, if you think you've never been wrong... You're not letting the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. He will chew you up one side and the other. He, he will place a burden on you about your wrong. I mean, why? Why would the Holy Spirit do that? Does he want me to be miserable? No, he wants you to be more Christ-like. And so we see that. Secondly, take action to change your perspective, moving beyond me-centered to God-centered and others-centered. Y'all, we got to quit putting the focus on ourselves. And y'all, we got a whole world out there that's putting the focus on us. All ad campaigns, marketing campaigns are, are, are me-centered. They're just me. Some of the social media that we find, it's me. And if you don't believe me, it's me again, and me again, and here I come again. For me, it's, it's my way or the highway. You see, now is that, is that what we're reading in Scripture today? No, 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 no. He's saying take charge to change your, leave the me-centered to God-centered and then other-centered. And then next, follow Jesus' example. We're going to look at that next week. He tells you perfectly in the, in the, in the verses that come after this how, what that looks like. And then here's some more. Find ways to serve and encourage others. Once you encourage someone and you see that you've helped set a fire into that person and you begin to see them, man, that is a special moment and it should be in your life. When you inspire them to reach for something greater than what they would typically want for themselves because the Spirit of God's working in them in such a way to take them to greater heights. How about this? Claim responsibility, not rights. We live, listen, we live in a, in a society that is about rights. We have the Bill of Rights. And, and, and all that's great and everything. But, but we can't just continue to raise for our rights 
Sometimes we just have to take responsibility. And then lastly, develop a spirit that is gracious, not critical. Let me just say this. This is from personal experience. If you're over the age, let's say 55, and you, how many of you would say who's over 55? That's the majority of the room. I'm looking out there. I see you. <laughs> I guarantee you, just as it happened in my life, you have to fight every day not to be critical and judgmental. It gets hard as you get older. You know why? Because we've seen everything. We've seen the, the foolishness of things. We've seen the trickery of things. We've seen, and it creates a cynicism in people. And they become critical. They become judgmental. And I'll be honest with you, that's still, that's still not of God. We, we got to get to a point where we see it the way God said. We still got to be encouraging. We still got to have compassion like we're getting ready to see. We still got to produce the fruit of the Spirit. It may be harder when we get a certain age, but we were called to still have it. How many of you have seen those people that don't fight it? They just live it. And here's what else. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I know them. Okay. <laughs> but here's what comes along later. I don't know when this age happens. I haven't quite hit there yet. But there comes an age where older people don't have a filter whatsoever. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have parents? You know what I'm talking about. I don't know what the magic age is, but it comes. And then all of a sudden, you got a critical spirit with a judgmental heart, and all of a sudden, you have no filter. We got some damage getting ready to happen. And, and I'm serious. We have to fight against that. It's all of this whole idea of how do you develop a unifying spirit? And it comes through this. A fourth attitude that we need to bring to the church family that creates union is compassion. Philippians chapter 2, the very last part of verse 1. If any affection and mercy, the two words found here at the end of verse 1, affection and mercy, make up the attitude of compassion. Compassion. How many of you are grateful that God had compassion on you? How many of you are grateful when other people have compassion on you? Y'all, we are to be compassionate people. It used to be when I, hear, when I would hear of people's sin, maybe a, a wife would come to my office and, and, and maybe ju just have a knucklehead for a husband. Anybody in that? No, don't raise your hand. And, 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 and they'd just come in, and I don't know about you, but I used to be like, come on, man, great day. Come, wake up. You know what I'm saying? Then I realized it's Tina sitting in front of me. No, no it's just... <laughs> What am I trying to say? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've lived long enough now, and this is where experience can help you, where you have seen everything, you've seen the consequences that come with things. I've gotten to the point where I have great compassion for those who are in sin. I used not to be that way. I used to be judgmental. I used to say, it served you right. How many of you been there? You got what's coming? Man, what you sow, you shall reap. You know what I'm saying? Now, all that's in the Bible. But I shouldn't be the cheerleader for that to happen to that person. I should, I should extend with compassion and love. Because guess what? Sin is sin in the eyes of a holy God. My sin is great too. 
And we got to understand that. And again, it's through the lens of, of having compassion. If we allow compassion to th- flow through us, we can go after those who've been hurt, those who are indifferent, those who are even critical. Compassion brings those out of disunity into unity. 1 Peter chapter 3 says this, Be of one mind, having compassion for one another. We need to have compassion for one another. I remember years ago when we were trying to make some changes here at the church. And some of y'all had some difficult times, and I get it. I went there knowing you were having difficult times many times when we would have our conversations. And, And I'll be honest with you. At first, it was almost like, come on, get on board. But you know something? The more I began to see the heart of those who struggled, the more the compassion began to come. And I started seeing from their perspective some of the hurt that comes along with the changes and some of the things that were back there that I was possibly even not paying attention to that meant so much to them. All of a sudden, I started having compassion. Now, did that mean we had to go a different way? No. We still had to continue to do what God called us to do. But man, it was hard. It got harder. How many of you know these people that are just so stubborn and jerk-like when they're trying to defend their position? You know something? That happens when you don't allow God to speak to your heart. When you don't allow what other people are dealing with sink into your own heart where you start to have compassion. Compassion for what's there. No matter what it is. Encouragement, love, fellowship, and compassion are all necessary to bring about unity in the church family. Next, what's the basic nature of unity? Or what is the essence of unity? Look at verse 2. Fulfill my joy, make me joyful by being like-minded, having the same love. Like-minded means to strive to achieve a common understanding and a genuine agreement. He's saying y'all come to a genuine agreement. Same love means... Not emotional love. What do we know about emotional love? That can change, can't it? Quickly. But a love that is of the will, choosing to love sometimes in spite of the circumstances or the actions of the other person. So basically, when he says like-minded, he's talking about a genuine agreement. When he says the same love, he's talking about a love that even if there is a difference, that you choose to love that person and instead of making them your enemy, you still choose to love them. It's just like when we say choose joy. And all of a sudden, you've got this bad health report. Or maybe this tough thing happened in your life. A relationship broke your heart. And the preacher's saying, choose joy. It's the same idea with this context. To choose love. To choose love beyond the actions of that person. I'm glad Jesus did that for me. And continues to do that for me. He chooses to love me. It's not an emotional love. It's a love that lasts, that's there. He chose to single me out and you out to say, I love that person. For God, so what? Love the world. Same love, agape love. 
1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I plead with you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you are perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That you've come to the common understanding of one another. We must eventually get to the point of unity that may mean at times, as I said before, that we agree to disagree. We agree to disagree. And y'all, that sometimes has to happen. How about this, the expression of unity, the corresponding outlook. Look at verse 2 again, being of one accord, of one mind. Some translations say, say it this way, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, the, the definition of corresponding means this, identical in all essentials, similar in position and purpose, associated in a working in a working relationship. Now, notice I said similar in position and purpose. There's some of us who may come to the same idea about things, but we have a different idea how we have the, the purpose we're seeing behind it. Or maybe we think it can happen a different way, okay? And, and there's times we just kind of got to work through that. But there are things we got to be unified in. I feel like we need to be unified in doctrine. What we believe about the Word of God, what we believe about God Himself, what we believe about Jesus. Now, if we choose to differ over the end time prophecies, and by the way, no one in this room has figured that out completely, none of us, we can agree to disagree on some of those things. But there are some essential things we must agree on. How about this uni unity in our core values, how we exist? This is this church's position. Jesus is our lead story. Scripture and prayer are prime. They're utmost. Worship is a lifestyle. We're a family. We're a kingdom focused. That's our cultural value. That's what we want to build into the culture of our church. United in membership. You hear it. If you've been a part of the new member class, we, we expect one another, all of us, to love God, connect with others, and reach the world together. That's what we're called to do. Believing in the same vision, keeping the main thing the main thing as it relates to Christ and his purpose for the church. What is he really saying here? Look on your outline. Being one in spirit. That we have a kindred spirit. That we see that the goal is the great commission. We may look at how to get there. We may have different paths getting there. We may have different approaches getting there. We may have a different strategy in how it looks. But the point is, we have a kindred spirit. And we are unified in purpose, but we may have differences in that strategy. Secondly, being one in purpose. Life centers around the wishes of God that we all see. It's not our wishes. It's the wishes of the heart of God. That we must pursue. Not the pastor. Not the. We pursue the heart of God. We are to operate as one. Even though we come from different backgrounds. Different experiences. Having different personalities. And guess what? We even have different giftings. Listen. I remember years ago. Putting things out there. That I thought were essential for us. To continue to move. In the direction we've found ourselves going. And, and I remember people who would speak, and not, not to be disagreeable, but would have concerns. And what was interesting about all the concerns is you could look at their concerns and you could literally determine their spiritual gift. Spiritual gifting is important. Spiritual gifting is where we operate 
in the way we serve and love, love the Lord and the way we, we, work, we serve Him. But it's interesting, too, that our perspective is different with the giftings. The prophet over here, it's going to be black or white. We're going to do it or we ain't going to do it. Which one we're going to do? Okay? Doesn't mean to make fun of you who are prophets. The mercy person over here, well, let's just make sure we make everybody love everybody. We got to continue to love and have compassion. How many of you, we love this person, right? No, just kidding. But, but the point I'm trying to say is we all come at things with a different heart, a different perspective, and who's right and who's wrong. We're, we can all be right. But we got to agree to disagree sometimes. But it's the nature of what God puts in us that we serve him with that brings perspective. And we got to acknowledge that. How about this expression of unity? Secondly, it's in humility. Verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but how? Lowliness of, in my, of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Wow. That is not the American way, right? That is not the Western culture. Paul was saying, don't let pride enter the attitude of the body. There's two ways that pride hurts the body. Number, in verse 3, here they are. Selfish ambition. When that person puts their own agenda ahead of what is best for the church or what God is leading the church to do. Conceit. When a person seeks glory for themselves when they desire recognition and attention. But not only that. Humility. There's two things that are required. Requires an honest evaluation. Humility comes from seeing ourselves as we truly are. How many of you have a hard time with that sometimes? Seeing yourself as you truly are. That's tough. He says, lowliness of mind is the act of humility. When you look at yourself with the possibility that you could be wrong. Mm. Don't be looking at one another. I, I see how y'all looking at each other. I heard one of you say, you heard that, right? <laughs> it's that idea that we're looking for what's best in the situation. What needs to be done in this situation? What is the best way? It may inconvenience me, <laughs> but what is best? What is best? It requires courage. Humility reaches its greatest height when we lose our lives for the cause of Christ, for the welfare and betterment of others. What does he say? Let each esteem others better than themselves. To outserve the other, to give the other benefit of the doubt. <laughs> the other the benefit of the doubt. Sorry. How many of you have a hard time giving another person the benefit of the doubt? It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes... Giving people the benefit of that can be a great learning activity when you seek to understand where they're coming from. Because again, sometimes they're coming from their spiritual gift, the perspective of their spiritual gift. They may, come at, may be coming at it from a, a life experience that maybe they've been there and you haven't. And you give them the benefit of the doubt to hear it out, to try to understand it more fully. But it requires courage. What should be our attitude concerning others? We are to have the mind of Christ, which is one of humility. Next expression of unity is consideration. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. This verse is actually the expression of humility. Lowering yourself, your desires, your preferences, your, your needs. This, we're not talking about convictions, however. But raising up others' desires, others' preferences, and others' needs. All come, all come from consideration, paying close attention to the lives of others. And it's so important. 
Now, there are two things that can destroy unity. And here's where you need to really stand guard. A person under the influence of the enemy. You need to be aware that while you may be a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus, and maybe there's been times where you've served well and efficiently, you need to be aware that you could be used by the enemy to create all kinds of discourse. And I've seen that in church after church after church. And here's another another thing that can destroy unity, a person who thinks their preferences are principles. You've got to pay attention to that. What is my preference? What is principle? Where does principle come from? I believe it comes from, from the Word of God. That's how I'm building my life, on the principles of the Word of God, not my preferences. Preferences are much different. So how do we do this as individuals? How do we keep this from happening? Romans 12 gives us a whole list, but here's some. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Another one, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, and don't be wise in your own opinion. Boy, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? And then, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Now, here's what I believe is, this is the bottom line. Moving towards unity requires three things. And this is known, the outline is now on the screen. Learn and know your purpose, okay? So if you want to move towards unity, you need to learn and know your purpose. Where, where, who am I? Where, what's my gifting? How am I looking at this? Be aware that it may not be perfectly right, but it's there. Gar, grow towards your maximum potential. Grow in Christ. You've got to grow. And thirdly, invest in the lives of others. And I've noticed when I attempt to live this way, I have a pretty balanced life. And, and, and also, guess what? I begin, I think, seeing things more from a wisdom point of view than my point of view, a wise point of view. I'm not easily deceived when I'm doing this. And it's so key. So here's our prayer this morning. Our prayer as individuals, as a church. God, give us a love for one another that supersedes anything that keeps us from accomplishing what you ask us to do for your kingdom. Help us to remain unified in your truth and in your vision for our church family. Y'all, <laughs> there's no true unity unless that unity comes by way of truth. We gotta build all this on the truth of God's word. It must happen. That's what we're called to do. And not only that, we got to realize that God's given us something to do. He's given us a vision here at this church. And y'all, it began many years ago, and it still ain't finished yet. It won't be finished until we see him face to face. I just hope we'll see him and we'll be faithful to the task he's called us as individuals and as a church family. Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we just come to you right now, and we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the challenge, Lord, that you put in my own heart this past week as uh, you, you helped prepare this sermon in me. And, and Father, I just pray for each one in this room, Lord, that we will take a, a careful, introspective look of ourselves to see where do we fit in. Not that we're island unto ourselves, not, not that we're trying to build our own kingdom over here, but Lord, that we would look into your kingdom 
through the means of the gifts that you've given us and the resources you've given us to join in partnership with a church family, whether it be here or wherever it may be, in the likes of fulfilling those things you've called us to fulfill, to bring the gospel to the world, to show people that they're undone and lost without a Savior, and that that Savior is Jesus Christ. And nothing matters more in this world than what we say about Jesus to this world. Father, help us to be those who are standard bearers, who hold up the name of Jesus, but not only the name of Jesus, the truth that surrounds him, Father. And help us to be a unifying force in this church to be able to carry that out the most effective way possible. Thank you for almost 25 years of the personal leadership you've given me to help lead this church, that Lord, we have been that church that while we may not agree on everything, we can agree to disagree, and we have continued to move forward. Father, only you could do what you did during that time, and now we're seeing the fruit of us trying our best to follow your hand. We thank you for what we're seeing. But Father, right now, impart upon us that unifying spirit, Father. If we feel like we're wayward, if we feel like we're on the other side of that, bring us into the fold of unity as a church family. But Father, most of all, for that individual here who's not unified with you, they've never received you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today will be the day they give the heart to you. Father, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. There'll be prayer partners down here at the front. I don't know what God's calling you to do in these moments, but would you sing with us? And if God's dealing with you, we'll be here to pray for you. Do what he's calling you to do. Thank you.